This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, Happy New Year. It's been a while. I hope you've missed me. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. This is the podcast where a giant nerd tells you stories from ancient Greek mythology. And this is a big one, my friends. Here's the deal. The Trojan War will encompass many episodes because not only is there the war, but there are so many stories that lead up to the war and so many after. I won't do them all in a straight series because I think it will become a bit much. Instead, we'll go in pieces. I should say that while the Iliad is the most famous source for the Trojan War, it doesn't cover a huge part of the story, so not everything here is coming from the Iliad. It gives you some backstory, but it's an in-the-moment telling of a section of the war. And so the mythology that built around the Iliad is what we have now in terms of the origin and the aftermath and the whole damn thing. That being a combination of myths from the time of Homer and after. Much later, the Romans would also take a part of the story of the Trojan War and use it for their own history. But we'll get there. That's all to say, this is not all from Homer, either the Iliad or the Odyssey. Much of it is from a later time, but still associated with the history of the war itself. Homer, if he was a single real guy, that's debated, was from around 7 to 800 BCE. The Iliad and the Odyssey are some of the oldest recorded works. So basically, everything Greek came after Homer, because for a long time, that was all there was. This episode will begin the first series, on the origins of the Trojan War.
This is episode 22, Trojan War Origins Part 1. One mustn't trust mysterious, inscribed, and shiny fruit. The first of our origin stories begins with a hero we've heard of once before. Peleus was born on the island of Aegina. His father was the king Iacus, son of Zeus. You may remember both that name and the name of the island because I covered the rape of his mother and his conception in the episode detailing Zeus's troubling behavior. Iacus eventually became a judge in the underworld because his insight was so well respected. But before that, Iacus was married to Indias, daughter of the famous centaur Chiron, though not a centaur herself. Together they had Peleus. But Iacus takes after his father, and so he developed a thing for a Nereid. She resisted him and turned herself into a seal to get away. But he pushed and he pushed, and as happens to so many women in Greek mythology, she gave in. It was easier than continuing to fend him off. She became his woman on the side. Together, they also had a son, Phocus. And by the way, I haven't said the Nereid's name because, frankly, I cannot pronounce it. So we're calling her the Nereid, and I'm sorry to her because I do like to name females when possible, but, you know, I'm Canadian, and all of these pronunciations are me taking an educated guess. So again, they had a son. Phocus grew up alongside Peleus, but he was hated by Andias. She saw him as a symbol of her husband's awfulness. It wasn't exactly an awesome home to grow up in. Andias was constantly coming up with ways to do away with Phocus, a positive environment for childhood development. Eventually, Andias' hatred for Phocus carried over to Peleus, and he grew to hate him too. He wanted to get rid of his brother for his mother, and he and his best friend Telamon, who was prince of the nearby island Salamis, decided to do it together. Phocus was athletic. It was his thing. One day, Peleus and Telamon joined him on a field for his practice, and Telamon hit Phocus on the head with a discus, ancient ultimate frisbee, and Peleus slammed a double-edged axe onto Phocus's spine, not a sport that has a contemporary equivalent. Immediately, Peleus realized the reality of what he'd done, and he was incredibly remorseful. Something had come over him. He hadn't been in his right mind. He thought about nothing else, until he finally moved away from his island home to get away from the guilt. He was looking for anyone who would take him in and purify him of the crime. Peleus came to the city of Phivia, and the king there, Eurytion, welcomed him and purified him of the murder of his half-brother. Once that was complete, Eurytion gave Peleus his daughter, Antigone, and a share of the kingdom. I love a good story of a woman being given away like she's property. Peleus wouldn't find peace, though. When he and Eurytion joined some other heroes in the Caledonian boar hunt, he accidentally killed his new friend, the man who had just purified him of his other murder. He thought he was throwing his javelin at the boar, but instead he hit Eurytion. So he was back on the road again, trying to find another place and king to welcome him and purify him of this, his second homicide. This time, Peleus ended up in Iolcus, where Acastus was king. Acastus welcomed Peleus, gave him a place to stay, and purified him once more. 
Now, chronologically, I'm a bit confused at this part, but that's Greek mythology for you. Basically, at some point, Peleus had joined Jason as an Argonaut on his quest, and that was from Iolcus. This quest was initiated by Peleus, that's Peleus with an A, who was Acastus' father. So for the sake of clarity, we'll say the Argonauts' quest had taken place a few years back, when Peleus was king and alive, and that when Peleus needed a new place to go to purify himself, he went back to Iolcus and found Acastus, now in power. Regardless of the time frame, at this point, Peleus is in Iolcus, and he's been purified. But he's in for some more trouble. Astadamia, the wife of Acastus, falls in love with Peleus, this mysterious and handsome visitor. You know how women can be. Astadamia is a character that encompasses all the awful things the Greeks assumed about all women. She told Peleus's wife, Antigone, that Peleus was planning to abandon her and marry something more exciting. As a result, Antigone ends up committing suicide, but Astadamia wasn't finished. Peleus's livelihood in Iolcus was his flock of sheep, and Astadamia sends a wolf to ravage the flock, and then she tells Acastus that Peleus tried to rape her, and he believes her. And this is how you know these stories were thought up by men. I feel like it's important to point out here that, like 99% of the time, women do not cry rape. No one wants that attention or that blame or the public shame and hatred that results. But I digress because, well, our current world. Acastus couldn't simply kill Peleus. Then he'd need purification too. So he comes up with a plan. He takes Peleus out into the woods to hunt. He hides Peleus's weapon and then leaves him to defend himself against whatever wild animals there may be. Peleus encounters a group of angry centaurs and climbs into a tree to get away. But Chiron arrives and speaks sense to the other centaurs. He takes pity on Peleus, returns his sword, and gets him safely away from these other angry half-horsemen. Meanwhile, Zeus is once again lusting after a woman he can't have and who doesn't want him. In this case, it's the sea nymph Thetis. This is the nymph that Prometheus had bargained information about. He knew that Thetis was destined to have a son who would be more powerful than his father, and Zeus knows this, so he can't have Thetis. This is basically the only thing that will prevent Zeus from having sex with a woman he wants, knowledge that it will be his own downfall. But at the same time, the gods are interested to see how this prophecy would turn out. They think, hey, Peleus' wife killed herself, so he's free. Why don't we set this up and see how it goes down? Thetis, though, is a goddess. She thinks this union is bullshit. Why does she have to marry a human? Also, why does she have to marry anyone she doesn't want to? But that's beside the point, I guess. Zeus, though, tells her it isn't an option, and Lord only knows what he'd do if she turned him down, so for her own safety, Thetis agrees to marry Peleus. Thetis doesn't make it easy, though. See, she's a sea nymph, and that means she's a daughter of Nereus. You'll remember Nereus as the crazy shapeshifter that Heracles holds on tight to until finally he's able to get the information he needs. Thetis is no different. She wants proof that Peleus is worthy of her, and so she forces him to wrestle her. 
She shifts into anything she can think of. Animals, monsters, a bird, a snake. Peleus holds on tight. And finally, Phaetus concedes that, sure, he's human, but he's a worthy human. Or as worthy as a human can be. The Wedding of Peleus and Thetis. It was a major affair. It was held on Mount Pelion, and because Thetis is a goddess, all the gods were in attendance. Many of them attended out of curiosity of how this union would go down, often happy that it wasn't them who would be overtaken by their own child. The gods are really concerned for the fate of others. At least, though, everyone who was there was happy to be there. They were all thrilled with the way things were turning out, and they appreciated the opportunity to party, to let their hair loose around all the other deities. The gods and goddesses were there, the muses, the graces, Nereus was there, father of Thetis. Chiron was there, he'd made friends with Peleus after saving him from the tree. He gave a piece of wood, it could be made into a spear. Thoughtful, I guess, if you like unfinished products. But thankfully, Athena and Hephaestus were there to help finish off the gift. Athena shaped the wood, she's real handy, and Hephaestus fitted the iron tip, sharp as sharp can be. The other gods gave a suit of armor, and Dionysus gave wine, which I guess is the only gift that's also for Thetis, so that's something. They were all there, having a ball, drinking and dancing and singing, and just having a wonderful old time. When in walks an uninvited guest. Eris goddess of strife and discord was crashing the wedding. Eris wasn't invited because, well, Eris was awful. Badass, but awful. She's a warmonger. She's pure evil. Her only thrill is causing pain and destruction. She's a companion of Ares, god of war. She brings with her all the blood and gore that comes with that territory. Eris is one of my favorites. She's awful. It's great. And Eris was angry. She did not like being snubbed, especially from such an important and deity-filled wedding ceremony. Everyone else had been invited, but not her. And Eris brought something with her. It was one of the golden apples of the Hesperides. And it was inscribed, like handwritten into the apple. It said, Calisti. It means for the fairest or most beautiful. So Eris walks into the celebration. She tosses in the apple with a sneer and she turns around and walks right out again. But that's all it took. There were three goddesses in attendance at the wedding who each believed that, of course, the apple was meant for them. It said, for the fairest, after all, and there was only one woman who met that criteria. At least, this is how Hera, Aphrodite, and Athena all felt. Each of them knew that it could only be meant for them. An argument broke out. A really, really intense argument. It got so heated and angry that Zeus stepped in. He told them that he would figure out a way to determine who indeed was the fairest. But for now, just 
chill and let's not let it ruin the wedding that we've totally forced because these two people barely know each other and really we just want to see what awful end result is forthcoming. Life went on though for now. Peleus and Thetis lived together in Phythia. Peleus became king after Acastus died, which I don't totally understand, but you know, he did. And eventually they had a baby. They named the baby Achilles. Thetis was still pretty annoyed that she was being forced to live life as a mortal, like a sucker. And so she didn't want the same for her son. At night, she took the baby Achilles and dipped him in a magic cauldron. This would ensure that he was invulnerable, like her. It would get rid of his pesky mortality. It was a process. It had to be done over seven nights. For six nights, she dipped Achilles in the boiling cauldron. But on the seventh night, just as she was mid-dip, Peleus caught her. He freaked out because, you know, it was a boiling cauldron and she was dipping a baby in it. He yelled and Thetis was startled and she stopped what she was doing. She'd been holding Achilles by the ankle. Not the whole ankle either. She'd been using her pointer finger and thumb to hold the baby by that tendon in the back of your ankle. You know the one. And so baby Achilles was just about invulnerable. There was just that tiny bit of his ankle that hadn't yet been dipped. But if you think about it, what are the chances, right? I mean, 99% of his body is invulnerable. 99% of his body will keep him from being killed. I'm sure he'll be fine. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. 
Meanwhile, in the East, there's another family that is about to welcome one more. King Priam and Queen Hecuba are about to have a baby boy. Hecuba is in labor, and it's an awful labor. When the pain subsides and the baby still hasn't come, Hecuba drifts off. She has horrible dreams. She dreams that she gives birth not to a child, but to the beginning of the end. She dreams of blood and death and her city burning. She sees her children and her husband dying. But when she awakes, she gives birth to a healthy baby boy. In the end, the birth is easy and the boy seems perfect. They call him Alexander. Hecuba feels uneasy, though, but there's no evidence that she should feel that way. Even though the baby seems fine and healthy and not likely to bring blood and death, she consults the soothsayers. Priam and Hecuba aren't Greek. This is their version of an oracle. The soothsayers tell her that her dream is closer to reality than she'd like. The baby will grow up and cause the destruction of their city. Hecuba speaks with Priam, and they decide to go with good old exposure. All too common in these stories. The solution is just to leave the baby out in the wilderness with the assumption that it will die. And guess what? As per usual, it does not die, because that wouldn't be particularly exciting. But all the same, Hecuba and Priam send the baby off with some attendants to be left out in the wilds of Mount Ida, assuming that he'll be eaten up by animals real quick. The first animal to find the baby is a female bear, and in the first of what will become a trope, this bear is attracted to the baby's cries and she nurses the baby as if it's her own cub. In the morning, when the baby is nice and full of bear milk, the mama bear has to go back to her own babies. She wasn't totally unbear-like. But the baby had survived, and it isn't long before he's found by some shepherds. One shepherd takes the baby back to his wife, and the couple raise the baby as their own. They call him Paris. Paris, who's also known as Alexander, grows up like a normal kid out in the country, with little knowledge of the people who live in the nearest city, a city called Troy. One day, though, things change pretty dramatically for young Paris. He's older now, he's tending to his flocks, just chilling with what I assume are a flock of sheep, when out of the blue, Hermes shows up. Now, as often as I've discussed the gods rolling up to humans and causing trouble, the humans still rarely expect it. It doesn't happen to everyone, after all, but here was Hermes just rolling up out of nowhere, and he's not alone. He's followed quickly by three goddesses. Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite. Paris is shocked, obviously. This is both weird and exciting, but also these three goddesses are hot AF, so Paris is pretty psyched. He is, after all, a teenage boy. Oh, and he's pretty well known for being sexy as hell himself. This is how Zeus had decided to settle the argument that had broken out years before at Peleus and Thetis' wedding. I guess the three goddesses had just been stewing in their own petty argument for, like, two decades? Women, am I right? Paris will decide, between the three goddesses, who is the so-called fairest. Zeus picks Paris because he's young and innocent and has secret noble blood. Oh, and like I mentioned, he's super hot himself, which I guess somehow helps in this decision. Hot people choosing hot people? 
So here's Paris just minding his own business with some sheep and a god and three goddesses roll up with a super old apple with some writing on it. The god, Hermes, says, Paris, what's up? Zeus has picked you to choose between these three goddesses for who gets this old apple with for the fairest inscribed on it. This is important stuff. So after the shock of how weird this is wore off, Paris is ready for the task. He sits down on a rock and looks up at Hermes and the three goddesses. First, Hera walks up to Paris. She is, of course, queen of the gods, and it's pretty clear in her appearance. Plus, she's like queen wife and goddess of fertility, so I think that makes her especially appealing in some way. Hera tells Paris that if he chooses her for this apple, she'll give him unimaginable power. He'll rule over endless territory and have no rivals. This is tempting, given Paris knows himself only as a shepherd at this point, but he waits to hear what the others have to offer. Next up, Athena. Athena walks up super confident, as is her way. She's wearing her armor, her helmet. She's clearly a badass warrior woman. She tells Paris that if he picks her, she'll make him invincible. And, like, entirely invincible. He couldn't be beat and he couldn't be killed. He would be totally unable to be defeated when it comes to warfare. Also appealing, thinks Paris. I could be a total badass. But there's still one goddess to listen to, so he's not making any decisions just yet. Finally, it's time for Aphrodite's offer. She approaches Paris and she is, well, she's Aphrodite. She's the goddess of love and sex for a reason, if you get my drift. She's basically walking sex. She tells Paris that if he chooses her, she'll give him the love of the most beautiful and desirable woman in the whole damn world. That was it. Decision made. It was easy. Men choose sex, especially teenage boys. Hera and Athena didn't stand a chance because they didn't offer sex. Who do they think they are? Paris, basically panting and drooling like a dog, tells Aphrodite that obviously he's chosen her, and can she please, right this second, tell him what woman he'll be given? Because, for the zillionth time, women exist to be given away like meat. Aphrodite smiles, feeling pretty proud of herself. She tells Paris that the most beautiful and desirable woman in the world is a little lady named Helen, more well known at this time as Helen of Sparta. This event is known as the Judgment of Paris. Almost immediately, Aphrodite's magic begins to work. First, King Priam of nearby Troy sends people out to find the best bull. He needs it for a sacrifice, and the best bull happens to be one of Paris's. So, as the king's men are taking away the bull, Paris decides to follow them to Troy to see what all the fuss is about. As soon as he reaches Troy and begins wandering around, he's spotted by Cassandra. Cassandra is his sister, daughter of King Priam and Queen Hecuba. Cassandra has never met her brother, for all the family knows he's dead. But Cassandra is known for something that is still associated with the name Cassandra. She can see things. She's basically psychic. And so when she sees this random shepherd boy wandering around, she knows exactly who he is and says immediately that the bane of the city of Troy has arrived 
and that the entire city is sure to burn. So it was a nice day in the city of Troy. Cassandra, though, has been cursed by Apollo. She knows the truth, and she sees the truth in everything and everyone, but her curse is that no one ever believes her. So she yells all this out, and everyone kind of just rolls their eyes and thinks, oh, Cassandra's acting up again, trying to get attention, what a typical female. Little do they know, she's fucking right. This festival that's being held, the reason that Priam needs the fancy bull, also includes athletic games. Because this is ancient Greece, or at least in the region of ancient Greece, and athleticism is their thing. It's basically the only thing about them that I don't really get the thrill. I don't relate. But you know, inventors of the Olympics and whatever, they like their sports. Paris and his newfound confidence, courtesy of Aphrodite magic, decides he'll compete. Paris does crazy well in this competition, and he beats out the two other most impressive competitors, Hector and Diphobus. Of course, unbeknownst to all three, they're brothers. Hector and Diphobus are the princes of Troy. Neither takes their defeat well, because they're young men coursing with fresh testosterone, but Diphobus takes it worst. In his anger at Paris, he tears a talisman that Paris is wearing around his neck. He's worn it since he was a baby. He's worn it since then because it was wrapped around him when he was abandoned on a mountain by his parents, the king and queen of Troy. Said king and queen, while supporting their two acknowledged sons in the competition, spot the talisman and recognize it. They realize that this is their son, though they still don't acknowledge that, duh, Cassandra is right about that, and maybe she has more important shit to say. Again, ignoring important information from Cassandra, they immediately take him back into their household, and lo and behold, he's a prince once more. But... Paris can't help but continue to wonder who is this Helen of Sparta that he's been promised and when will he get to meet her and take her as his property, as his, his right, as a man? <laughs> Helen, you'll recall, was born to Zeus and Leda via an egg. Yes, an egg, because... Leda was seduced by Zeus in the form of a swan. Mythology. Weird, weird Greek mythology. And Helen had a sister, Clytemnestra. These sisters were raised by Leda's husband, Tyndarius, and when the two were babies, Tyndarius had been instructed to sacrifice Helen and Clytemnestra, but he'd neglected to do so. Aphrodite doesn't take this betrayal well, and she curses Tyndarius and his daughters. They're destined to be, quote, twice married and thrice married and yet husbandless. Next episode, Helen and Clytemnestra and the curse of the house of Atreus. Thank you all for listening once again to me and my crazy mythology obsession. Last week, I asked a question of you all, or whoever of you follow me on Instagram, about what you wanted to know about the Trojan War. 
As we continue, I'll cover more of those questions. But one thing I was asked about was any historical or archaeological truths to the judgment of Paris. The short of it is, no, there's no historical or archaeological evidence that anything like the judgment of Paris ever happened. But that being said, there's no real evidence that any character of the Iliad or the Trojan War ever existed. In fact, there's no real consensus about whether or not the Trojan War in general ever happened. I think this is utterly fascinating because even at a glance of the information I found, there are endless things I don't know. So I'm going to be doing a special historical slash archaeological episode about the war as a whole. So all to say, there is more to come when it comes to the truth of it and what really happened. Please, again, if you enjoy this podcast, rate and review on iTunes. Not only does it make me exceedingly happy, but it also helps others discover the podcast. And it would be super duper cool if I could get on one of those lists. So help me out, won't you? Also, if something crazy happens and you ever see me on one of those lists, please send it to me because like I've mentioned before, I don't have access to see anything about my podcast outside of Canada or at least on iTunes, nothing outside of Canada. It's a really great functionality of Apple. Thank you. And the more listeners, the easier it is for me to keep this podcast alive. You can also help, of course, by becoming a patron to my Patreon, where you'll get exclusive things, even exclusive episodes of the podcast. Right now, I'm going to be working on an episode about the historicity of the Battle of Thermopylae, which is famously known as the Battle of of the movie 300. A lot of it is true, which is insane. So come at me for that. Or also, I've set up a function on my website for one-time donations, should you feel so inclined. You're all wonderful, beautiful nerds, and I am so grateful to have you as listeners. There is another announcement I have. I'm not able to continue doing this podcast once a week. It turns out, my God, it requires so much research and I have a full-time job, or actually right now I'm looking for a full-time job, but I will have one in order to pay my bills. So as of this week, the podcast will be every second week. I'm sorry, I would love to continue doing it once a week, but it means that I have no time for any other creative things and... I've actually been working on a book, weirdly, about Greek mythology for the past decade, and I would really love to finish it because, seriously, a decade. It's stupid how long I've been working on this crap, and I need the time. This podcast takes all my time. Anyway, I hope you'll all understand and come back in two weeks. Thank you again. You're wonderful. I'm Liv. How is it 2018 already? And I love this shit. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. 
Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.